I want to take a moment here this morning before we get started into the text. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. But I want to take a moment, kind of just talk a little bit about vision and direction that we're going in the next, over the next year. Some things we're praying about, some things are happening. And sometimes, you know, I always find that it's, I'm always like to share all this kind of stuff, but I don't get to talk to all of you individually. So I felt like it was important that we come together when we're coming together as a body of Christ, that we share these things so you can pray with us and join in with us and also know some of the things that are, that are coming. The first thing that I really want to talk about is out here in, in Portable A. You know, uh, in our student portable, they, that's where they meet every week. You get about 40, 45 students out there, and that portable is full uh, by the time you add in leaders and everything else. And so one of the things we began uh, praying about, actually uh, been for two or three months now, maybe a little longer, talking about among the elders and even the deacons is, is there possible that we can do something out there? Because those portables are... are uh, uh, they're in bad shape. We, we need to kind of upgrade them or do something. And one of the things we've been wanting to do is maybe build a new building out there that we can put our students in and maybe a few more classrooms as we have opportunity as our, some of our small groups begin to grow. Now, uh, don't, don't be one of those that come up to me afterwards and go, Greg, when are we, when are we, when are we starting the building process? I'm asking you guys to pray. Uh, we have some other things that, in our building that need to be updated uh, if you've been around our building, you probably recognize that as well. Uh, one of the big things that always bothers me is if you're visiting this morning, you're probably trying to figure out which door to come in. You know, we've, we've gone through that how many times. Really would love to try to correct that somehow. So we've started talking to an architect to see what we can do. What are some other things? We've, we've got a half acre. Pro- we've already started praying that we could sell that. Just different things that we can do to begin to make that, make that happen. So what we're asking of you this morning it's not that this is set in stone or anything like that. We're just saying to you as the church body, will you pray? Hey, students, will you guys pray about maybe a possible place over there? Please join us in that because we would really like to see God work in this way. All right? And so continue to, to pray. But something that is happening, January 15th, you've got a card on your seat, our Mansfield Bible Church Institute. Um, the, the Institute is really important when we talk about as uh, a vision for our church. We're saying, hey, we're a group of people learning to follow Jesus. All right, we like the word learning because what it means is none of us has attained yet. All of us are still growing in Christ. And if you sit out there and you raise your hand and you say, Greg, I've, I'm mature, I've attained, I'm gonna call you a liar and then you won't be there anymore. You know what I mean? So we're, we're just learning to grow. And one of the things we have to understand that when we grow, there should be multiple opportunities for us to invest in our spiritual growth. So if your only involvement in spiritual growth is this hour, once a week, it's not enough. Uh, you need to be in a small group. You need, women's, group, women's and men's both have different studies and different, some are more in depth like rooted, some are, are, are just small group Bible studies. There's opportunities. You need to be investing into those things in order to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the scriptures and your walk with God that you may learn how to follow Jesus, okay? And one of those things we, we're, we're starting is called NBC Institute. And it's gonna meet over in the link, first hour. Uh, we'll start it on January 15th. The first class, we're only gonna start with one class. Uh, it's not complete yet, but we're gonna start with one class. It's called uh, Maturing in Christ. And it's really kind of an introductory class that covers some of the basic truths of our faith and some of the things we need that are practical that we need to understand in our walk. Uh, I know in the fall, I think Greg Buckles is planning on teaching uh, 
Bible study methods, how do you study your Bible, uh, some of those kinds of things. Well, when you look at it, it gives you some different options. Uh, one of the options is maybe there's just one class you want to go to. So maybe you're meeting in this class over here, and that Sunday you go in there because you want to deal with that subject, or maybe you want to do the whole class. Well, when the class is over with, you just go back to your small group. So it kind of works in on those mornings. We're going to do it on, on Sunday mornings. In the fall, we'll add some other, other classes. There's also an opportunity if you want to kind of get into a certificate track. And we have three different tracks there. One is Bible doctrine, just the, the truths of our faith, the things that we hold to that are foundational to our faith that you can emphasize. It's going to go a little bit, uh, a lot deeper in your understanding of the, of the scriptures and doctrine. There's also another track that's Bible studies. Uh, this is kind of a biblical study idea where you can study more of uh, emphasis in certain books of the Bible. Obviously, you're going to have to learn Bible study methods in any of those. And the third track is kind of a leadership track. It's, a, it's how, do you, how do you take your faith and you get involved within the church and, and in, or in the community and you impact others for Jesus Christ. Um, we don't want to be a church where we're just kind of sitting around and we're just letting some others. We want to be a church. My desire is that all of us, because that's the way God's designed the body, if you read Ephesians chapter 4, God designed it for all of us to be involved. And so if you're like, well, man, I'm not sure I can do that, there's, there's, cla- there's going to be classes and tracks. It's going to take us a little bit of time to really continue to build it up, but over the long term, uh, I think it'll be fantastic for the body of Christ here at Mansfield Bible Church. In fact, it was interesting, I'm sharing with the pastor what we're about to start, and when I was describing it, when he was like, well, can my people come? And I was like, uh, let us get it going. You know, I, don't, I didn't know what to, I said, uh, you know Greg Buffels, talk to him, you know, but uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I'm really excited about the opportunity. One of the things, and why this pastor was interested is he said, one of the things that's going on is we even have people that are going into ministry, from workplace into ministry, we have lay people who are growing in their faith and they're watching a lot of different things. Uh, it would really be nice to have a place where people could come. And it's not a seminary, but it's just a place where we can grow in our faith and look at the text and understand our faith. We're not trying to learn things, people, to pound people over the head, right? Amen? We are learning things so that when we stand, we know why we're standing. We know what we believe and we're resisting our adversary because we know truth. And though the world may come against us, we don't have to fear because we know Christ and we know the truth of his word. We have to be people who understand the text, who grow in the word of God, and we cannot be slack about it. We need to be, and boy, this is, I'm getting into my sermon already, but anyway, we need to be about it. And if you are, I pray that God's spirit will change your thinking. Because I know, I know this, that I'm right on this that we are right, and it's important. So one of the things that we began to look at this next year, we're gonna really focus in on this institute and some of the other things, or some other things we're talking about, trying to get uh, where it's even more conducive, where people can continue to grow in their faith. Uh, but one of the things we did is we, we started looking at all the things we're doing, and we're gonna be moving the, the institute into the link in that, that first hour. So one of the things we looked at is after, I think it's December 18th, will be our last Sunday. We'll have a 9.30 service. Uh, We're going to try to bring people together for a time. It doesn't mean we're not going to do another service at some point. We probably won't do a service when we have all of our small groups and life going on. We'll do it in a time that kind of fits within the life of the church. We really have been praying about this a lot. 
looking at it and trying to figure out what is it that kind of works that we would encourage people in their faith. And so for a time, starting after December 18th, we will be meeting at one service during this hour. Um, one of the things that we're looking at on January 15th, when we start the Institute, uh, the 11 o'clock service, we're actually in, we're trying to kind of adjust a little bit for those that are like the earlier service. We're going to move our time from 11 o'clock to 1030. So this service will be at 1030 starting January 15th, which means the first hour will start at 9 o'clock, uh, our Institute and all that. So I know that's where the groanings came in the first hour too, you know, like, uh, hey, you know, I figure, you know what, let us with joy seek out after the Lord. Let us understand that we are about growing in Christ. And we can't grow if we don't know the word. We can't grow if it's not incorporated in our lives. We will not appropriate it if we don't know it. You will appropriate something, but it won't be the word if you're not growing in Christ. So anyway, I think that's, I've covered that all. Wanted to get you all up to date. I'm excited about the next year. My mind never stops running. I'm always, in fact, it was I think even a week ago, I was with the staff. In fact, no, it was actually this morning, I was in there with Paul, and I was throwing out this idea, and Paul just goes, nah, nah, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I have 100 ideas, maybe one's good, that's all right, we'll just keep going. <laughs> but let's just, let's just keep seeking the Lord. We need you all to join us in prayer that we would seek God and do that. Let's pray at this point. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I know that so many times we kind of chart our path and we chart our ways, and yet, Father, it's you that direct the steps. And we need to understand your sovereignty. We need to understand your goodness in that sovereignty. We need to understand, Father, that your ways are not our ways. We need to understand that, Father, you have a plan for our lives, and it's to be more and more like your son. And that, Father, we would, in humility and willingness, bring our lives in line with Christ, that we might grow in the faith, that we might, Father, learn to follow him. And even as we watched him, Father, to walk in humility, and Father, as he surrendered even himself, that, Father, we would learn from his ways and that we would grow in our faith. Lord, I, I pray that you would just speak to us this morning. Man, Father, I, so many times I, I beg you that your spirit would just move us as your people, that we would thirst for you even more, that, Father, we would long for you and we would desire to know you even more deeply. And so, Father, I pray your spirit moves this morning. I pray you go past all of my sins and my own iniquities, my own shortcomings, and you just speak to us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. There's two, two movements of thought in this passage. Uh, the, there's the idea of, of the treasure of our life as Christians, and then the purpose of our life as, as believers, all right? So here's, here's what you're gonna have to learn and understand this morning. You need to understand what is your treasure? What is your treasure? Because what your treasure is will direct your path. It will direct where you go. Um, I was thinking about this passage even this morning and they were laughing at me in the first hour because it just kind of, some things were just kind of coming to me and so as I normally do, I'll, I share them and so forth. And I, I, I was telling them, I, something I realized this week is that one of the treasures in my life is my wife. And the reason is, is because 
because I realized if I ever had to choose, I probably wouldn't want to have two acres I got to mow. I really don't like digging up dirt and planting plants. My wife loves it. We turned this little building that used to be a two-car garage, cinder block, we turned it into a greenhouse, and, and we were trying to beat the cold, you know, because there's my wife, I don't know, I, I, I feel like a thousand plants, but it's probably not that many, but, you know, but it was just all these plants, and what do we do with it? And so I knew this was coming, and I kept hoping for warm weather, kept war, 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 hoping for warm weather. Well, the last two weekends, the previous weekends, man, it was just a lot on my plate, and I was finding that I was working on Fridays and Saturdays trying to get stuff done, and I was kept putting off some of these things that need to be done around the house. Well, I got up Friday morning. Y'all remember what Friday was like? It was raining, it was cold, and I got up Friday morning, we got to get these done, and I'm just got in this mode, man. Where just, you know, we were trying to hang up plastic, you know. In the way you hang up plastic, right, you just take a piece of wood and snap a nail in it. And, well, there is better ways to do that, by the way. I just want you to know that. And, and I found myself in that process where there came this kind of a tense moment between Lydia and I that morning. Uh, some of it's a difference of personalities and the way we get things done. But all of a sudden I realized that as I, as I became so focused on, I was getting up that morning and I had my plan, my direction, and I was going this direction. I began to realize, man, I just forgot what my treasure was. Because we moved there because of her desires. And I love it. I love watching her. And, and her desire to, to grow things and just how much joy she has in it. I don't, I don't have joy in it. I have joy in it because of her. And I began to think about that this morning as we were talking in the first hour. I began, wow, isn't that true about our spiritual lives? That what happens to us is if Jesus isn't our treasure, we kind of get out over here and we lose sight of our purpose. The purpose for me was just the joy that I have in watching my wife uh, grow these things and all of that. And, and in the moment, I, was just, I found myself angry and frustrated. And I was losing sight of purpose. And that's what we do in our Christian life. When we lose sight of our, of our treasure of our life, which is Christ, and we lose sight on it, we get out here and then all of a sudden some other things start coming up. And we start going down these other lanes that begin to take us away from what our treasure is. And so this morning I want to challenge you and I want to challenge you in a way that I ask you, what is your treasure? What do you treasure in life? Paul, when he addresses this in in the book of Philippians, he addresses this in the first six verses of chapter three and really verses four through six, Paul begins to describe all of his attainments, all of his accomplishments that he's had in his life. I mean, if you're talking about somebody who had reached the top of the level, you're talking about, about Paul. I mean, you think about it. He's, he, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees. He goes through all of this list and he's saying, if you think you've attained, huh, look what I've done. In fact, to the place where Paul says, hey, as it relates to the righteousness of the law, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. But then Paul says something in verse seven, verse seven and eight. These are always verses that strike me whenever I read them because they always challenge me in my heart. In verse seven, it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In verse seven, he says, but in contrast to all that I've accomplished, whatever it was gain I had, I counted as a loss. And I really strike that with me because I always ask myself, what is it that I have now put as more important than Jesus? What, is it, what has become the treasure in my life? I talk about my wife being my treasure because I love sharing my life with her. But ultimately, both of us, when it comes down to it, our treasure is Jesus. That's, that's the decisions we've made throughout our marriage. When there's been times when things are going, it's gone back to Jesus and who Jesus is and as it relates. We haven't been perfect. I'll never tell you that I have. But it always comes back to him. And Paul says, whatever I have gained in that context, I count it as loss. I count it. And in fact, that word counted there means to, to consider, to think, to take into account. It's a perfect tense in the Greek. Let me explain that. When you're talking about the perfect tense, it's the idea where Paul has made a decision about these things that he gave up. And he's continuing to make those things into the present. Now remember something. Remember where Paul is right now when he writes this letter. He's in jail. He's given up everything. And he's there in jail and he says, I still count these, I have counted, and I'm still counting them as, as lost. That word lost there is kind of interesting. It's used of, of a ship that's in a storm and the ship is starting to, starting to sink. And, and the picture is of the crew, you know, where they're starting to throw, throw things overboard, you know, because what matters is life, right? I mean, I mean, at that point, you don't care how valuable it is. You're just throwing it over because you want to survive. You don't want to sink. And the picture is, is, is Paul saying, I've counted all those things, Pharisee of Pharisees. And he's throwing it over. Righteousness by the law, throwing it over. He's throwing those things over and he's counting them as lost in comparison to who Christ is. He's doing it in order to gain Christ. He's doing it in order to be able to come to this place where he says it's Christ and Christ alone. It is Christ whom I seek. All those accomplishments, all those attainments, all those things, they're nothing when I hold them up to the light of who Jesus is. And I take them and I throw them over. And yet so many times, what do we do? We're like, okay, not that box. Lord, don't touch that one. You can have all these others, but... And so many times we realize that all of a sudden it's not Jesus that is our treasure, but it's that box that we still hang on to. What is the treasure of your life? Is it Christ? And when I read these words, it always penetrates my heart. It makes me stop to go, is Jesus the treasure of my life? In verse eight, he continues on. He says, indeed, I count. This time he uses it in a present tense. He's like, right now, right here, I am counting these things as lost. I'm sitting in prison. I'm sitting here for the sake of the gospel, but I don't care. I'm counting them as lost that I might know Christ. That's what he goes on and he says, he says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When I look at the value of knowing Christ and these things, they, they just, they become nothing in the sight of the worth of knowing Christ. And you have to ask yourself, if you're gonna read that passage, anytime you walk into Philippians chapter three and you get to these verses, you have to ask yourself, what is my treasure? 
What is it that I value? What is it that I'm pursuing in life that is deterring me from the treasure of Christ? Because it's those things that we grasp onto and we hold on keeps us from understanding why he's grasped onto us. We have to understand the realities of this to grow in an intimate companionship and relationship with Jesus. It's happened to me many times, especially when I was in, in a restaurant business and people would come up and they go, do you really, really, Greg, do you really, really believe that you can have a personal relationship with God? And I would go, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what God did through his son. We just spent five weeks talking about the atonement. Look what God did for us in his son. How incredible. If, if, you, if, you, if you went through those five weeks and you don't understand that Jesus is your treasure, you're blinded yourself. Jesus is your treasure. And Paul's like, I'm in, I'm gonna give it up. I'm gonna count everything lost in order to, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, it go, he goes on, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I love that statement. Let me read it again and listen. Let it penetrate in your heart. I know you're tired. Some of you are tired. But listen to these words. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as worthless, as rejectable. Paul is saying, I remember when I was a young boy after I came to Christ, the pastor saying nothing with Christ is better than everything without Christ, right? Paul's saying, you know, when I look at the, all of those attachments that I've, that I've had, those accomplishments, those attainments, those other pursuits, and I hold them up to Jesus and the worth of knowing him, they're nothing. They're rejectable. And the old King James uses the word done. They're just nothing. Nothing in order that I may gain Christ because Christ is the treasure of the Christian life. If Jesus is not your treasure, something else is. Think about that. If Jesus isn't your treasure, something else is. There's something else you're pursuing. There's something else that has taken that spot in your life. There's something else that is guiding, that becomes the motivation and the purpose of your life. And, it, and it's taking you in a direction that isn't that Jesus is treasure anymore. It may be your own ways. That's why I think of the passages where each has turned to his own way. And the picture of turning away from Christ and turning to something else. When you don't, when you don't understand that Jesus is your treasure, the treasure of your life, you won't understand the purpose of your life. I'm always amazed at how many times we as Christians always go, well, what, what, why do I exist? What's the, what's the purpose? I'm like, do you know Jesus? There's your purpose. He's your treasure. Yeah, but you know, like, what do I got to do? Walk by faith. God's amazing in the things that he does to those, for those who believe. Walk by faith. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how many resources you have. They aren't enough compared to God. And when you trust God, that's why amazing things happen. I, I, I mean, I knew even this morning, you know, I was kind of, wringing my hands, I'm gonna tell them about, hey, I'd like to build this building over here and like to do this. And I know, I know, I know all of us conservatives are all kind of going, oh, what about the economy, right? 
Yeah, we immediately quit looking at God and we're looking at the economy. Like the economy is going to be the answer for our problems. We believe in a God bigger than our economy. We believe in a God bigger than our, than our issues that we face in this life. And we need to understand that, that our God is our treasure. And that when God is our treasure, the path of what we can do in Christ becomes amazing in our spiritual growth. We need to understand that. When Jesus, I mean, when Paul goes on and he says here in verse 9, and be found in him. Just let those words set for a minute. To be found in him. It means to discover, to be proved to be, or to turn out to actually be. What he's talking about is that in my life, Paul says, I've counted these things because when you look, it would be discovered. It would be discovered that I'm found in Christ. I can remember a time working construction where everybody I worked with had no idea I was a believer. And in the restaurant business, everybody knew. And I was like, I think, what was the difference? I didn't, it wasn't like I went around going, oh, you're dying and going to hell. Did you know that? I never did that. They knew there was a difference because you know what was the difference between construction and the restaurant business? That God was working in my life. He's changing who I am. Because the more that I pursue him, the more I realize he opens up those little dark rooms that we never wanted him to open. You know, those little black rooms. You have them, I have them. You know, where God begins to open, they hurt. They're no fun. I'm like, no, Lord, keep that one shut. Can we wait a while? I always pray, don't open them all at the same time, please. <laughs> have mercy. But it's when God opens those up, I've never looked back and said, oh, I wish you'd never open that up. When God begins to work and he begins because he's our treasure and because we begin to pursue him, then those things become diminished in the light of who Christ is. And we have to understand that, that we would be found in him in the revelation of our character, that we'd be discovered that we are in Christ. Because when Paul goes that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. Listen to these words, that depends on faith. Doesn't depend on how much you know. Doesn't depend on how much you do. It doesn't depend on what you've accomplished. It depends on faith. It's a, it's a righteousness. Paul had already gone through this righteousness by the law, whereby the law was, was the governing. So how do, you, how do you, how's the means of righteousness through the law? Obedience. And what is the source? Who's possessing that? You are, because you're keeping the law. But we've all fell short. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm not depending on the righteousness that comes through the law. I'm depending on a righteousness from God. And when it comes through God, how does it come? By faith. Who's the source of that righteousness? God. Isn't that so much better? Now think about that. If you understand the reality and Jesus is your treasure, then what happens is you begin to walk by faith. It's real simple and it's so difficult at times. That you walk by faith. Every time you take a step of faith, you're growing closer and closer to your Savior. That's why from the time I worked in construction, the time I was in the restaurant business, there was a difference because it was steps by faith. If you've been in a growing relationship with your God and you look back to 10 years ago to where you are now, there's gonna be a significant difference if you're walking by faith. Now here's the flip side of the course. If Jesus isn't your treasure, you're not walking by faith. And if you're, if you're not walking by faith, then what happens? you start walking away from him. Because a step of unbelief 
is a step away from your treasure because he's not your treasure. And we as believers have to understand the reality of addressing those issues in our walk with God or else you know what? We're just gonna be comfortable coming in here and sitting down. I worship God, go home, check it off. I did my God thing. God forbid that would ever be named among us. We wanna be a people who begins to pursue after God, pursues after Christ. You see, what Paul's talking about when he says, I want to be found in him, he wants to find a righteousness that is appropriated out in his life through faith. A righteousness which puts us in a right relationship with God and brings about a way of life that is demonstrating the righteousness and work of God in our lives. Paul goes on and he says in verse 10, he says that I may know him again, this here is the idea of knowing kind of an experiential. It's like to come to know by experience. If you're walking by faith and you're taking a step of faith, you know what? You're experiencing God. Every team of time, you, you trust God. Trust him, I trust you. I just challenge you to do that. Just to walk by faith, trust him. What is, it, what is there going on in your life right now that you need a step of faith? Let the spirit tell you. Maybe it's some, something in your life you need to get rid of and you haven't done it. And so somehow you've been hanging on to it and you know, you just know in your spirit, but you keep hanging on to it. What is the step of faith? Step of faith says, I'm gonna trust you, Lord. I'm gonna step out and put that off. The, work, the, the works of the law, oh, I can get this. I can overcome this. And you never will. You might be greatly disciplined and, for a time, but you never will. It's when we walk by faith, when we begin to experience that in our walk with him, that we begin to experientially know him, that personal contact, that closeness we have in our relationship with God. Every one of us in this room can have that. Just because I'm standing up here teaching doesn't mean I have some kind of special ability and to know that. Every believer, you and I are alike. Don't forget that. There's no super Christians. There's just people who've been maybe walking by faith a little longer. And you can walk by faith. I love this next phrase. It just, I get really excited over it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Think about that. The power of his resurrection. That the living power of the risen Christ would be revealed in our lives that it would be a working in our lives of a continual renewal in our life because of the power of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? If you went over to Ephesians chapter one, verses 18, 19. Paul writing, well, he's actually praying for those Ephesian believers. You know what he prays? That you would understand the power of God who raised Jesus. He raised him from the dead. He set him in the right hand or in the heavenlies and everything, placed everything under his feet. Paul says that power works in us. Do you understand that? Do you understand what I just said? That power works in us. It's the power of the resurrection. Paul wanted to know the operation of God's power in his life. That God would be working in his life in such a way that it became so obvious in his power, the power of God working in his life. And then he goes on and he says, not only the power of his resurrection, but may share in his sufferings. And we're all like, okay, I'm gonna check out of that one. I don't wanna deal with the sufferings. But this isn't the idea here of suffering like on the cross. It's a picture of a joint participation. 
that when you begin to identify with Jesus, you're gonna face hardships. You're gonna face people who are gonna, who are gonna reject you. You're gonna face things that are gonna come against you and they're gonna hurt you and it's gonna hurt when it's family, close friends who don't agree, who think you're a fool. And it's gonna be very easy to forget Jesus is your treasure where you put Jesus down in the cargo area for a little while until they leave the ship, right? No. Paul says, hey, I wanna share in the sufferings. I wanna share that I identify with Christ. I want, I want the world to know that in Christ, in Christ is who I believe. And then he says, becoming like him in his death, that idea of becoming like him is the same kind of word that is used over in uh, uh, chapter two, verses six and seven, where he became the likeness of sinful flesh. It's this idea of conforming, that we become, we identify with Christ so much that we become so much like his son. Paul's wanting, wanting it to be true as outwardly as it is inwardly. That as I inwardly seek after him, outwardly these things would be true. That I become like him in his death. That Jesus, when he said, not my will, but your will. That we would learn to say, not my will, but your will. Or as it says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do we understand that as God's people? That Christ lives in me in the life I live in the flesh. I live by what? Faith. Faith. Faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If Jesus isn't your treasure, you're not gonna understand that. Verse 11, he says that I may, that by any means possible, let that set in, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here, here he's not talking about physical, he's talking about spiritual, that we go from death to life spiritually. That Paul's saying, hey, that in any means possible, that I would understand the outworking of the resurrection of Christ in my life, in my spiritual life, I go from spiritual death to spiritual life, to a state where God's life is motivating us, producing in us righteousness. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already attained this or am already perfect. The word there, perfect, doesn't mean like perfect, no sin, nothing. It's the idea of maturity. And I love this passage. It's such a Encouragement to me that Paul is saying, hey, I have not completed maturity yet. I'm not there yet. There's always room for spiritual growth. That's why we have to always remember that one, one isn't better than the other in our body of Christ. We all can attain maturity. And then look what he says, but contrast, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is saying that idea to press on is to grasp, to lay hold of, because he wants to lay hold of the reason why God, through his son, has grabbed hold of you. Do you understand that? What God has done, we looked at the atonement, but what God has done through his son, do you want to understand the purpose in which he has grasped you? Verse 13, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. When he's saying there about, I do not consider that I made my own, Paul is saying, hey, I haven't appropriated all those things I've talked about yet. I haven't appropriated all in verses nine through 11. They're not there, but regardless, one thing I'm gonna do, one thing right here is your, 
There's a purpose. If, you're, if Jesus is your treasure in your life, this is it, people. You want to know why you exist. You want to know your purpose. You want to know what life is about. This one thing, Paul says, one thing, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting about all of those things I threw over that I counted loss. You know, so many times I've seen, even as believers, even myself, where you throw something over and a little bit later you're like, oh, why did I, you know, did we, was that really, should we done that? I'm still in love with that treasure. But when we understand the reality, we throw it over and we forget about it and we press on. Just like a runner in a race, we stretch him forward. We have a mark, we have a direction. Paul is saying, hey, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Do you understand that in your relationship with God, he isn't just thinking about the past, he has a plan in the future. And we as God's people want to keep walking after him and quit, quit worrying about all these things that are in the past. God has set us free in Christ Jesus and we dress in the righteousness of Christ. Let us no longer be weighed down by the things of this world. Let's throw them off and set forth and press forward, straining, looking off to our goal. That we no longer be weighed down in the world that's around us. But so much more for us ahead. In verse 14, last verse, I press on toward the goal of the prize, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That word toward has the idea of bearing down. The idea of goal is the target and the mark. What is your target, dear people of God? What is your target? Is it your career? Is it your sports team winning today? What is your target? Please, please, please don't ignore those questions. Ask yourself, it's between you and God, it's not me. I love you regardless. But ask yourself, do not be complacent about these things. And he says, I press toward the goal. What is the goal? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All those things in verses 9 through 11, that I may be known, that I may know him, be found in him. The power of his resurrection, the suffering with him. That I would be like him in his death. No longer my will, but your will, O oh God. That I be his servant. That even as he said in Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 29, that we would be conformed in the image of his son. He wants us to be more and more like his son. Only he can do that work in your life. You can't. It's by faith. Where is your treasure? What is the treasure in your life? If when, when Jesus is the treasure of your life, then he is the purpose of your life. Whatever is your treasure, that's what you're going to pursue. That is your treasure. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, I, I, just, I just pray your spirit moves, speaks to us. Let us not be a people that grow complacent, Father, in our, in our, in our lives. Let us, Father, always be growing and pursuing Christ. Father, I just pray your spirit moves among us. And Father, some of us right now, we're, there's some things in our life that we know that we need to address. Lord, that, that you, would, uh, you would address those things. That your spirit would not let us just once again push the door shut, but Father, to realize 
what you have before us, what you have for us. And the future is so much greater than all the things we tried to hide in our closets. Set us apart, dear God, unto holiness. Set us apart unto yourself to be your servants, to follow after you with all our hearts, with all of our mind, with our, all of our will. That, Father, we would seek you in all of our ways. To you be the glory, O oh God, and the praise. And even now I pray that your spirit would just work for your purposes and your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.